So I want to talk a little bit this morning about uh, vision. Is that all right? This is our vision as a church, following Jesus in a big way. And that big has content, not just big, but it's about building family. Oh, I've got the thing, haven't I? That's why it's not happening. It's my fault. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Thank you for getting me started. I need some help here. Oh, there we go. Building family across the city. We believe that the church is meant to be family, not just a series of meetings or disconnected people. And we are a citywide church. So B is for building, building family, igniting passion for God in his kingdom. We're called, first and foremost, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. So that's absolutely part of what our vision is. And also, going with good news to students, to local communities and beyond. So it's kind of everyone, really. We're called to go, and not just go to a particular parish. That's not the kind of church that God has called us to be, nor called to go to one subculture, but to go out to lots and lots of different people. So that's our vision, and I'm not standing up this morning to say that we're changing it. So that is our vision, and that remains our vision, but there is something else that does need to change, or rather to be clarified. And this morning, really, I hope not to take too long uh, to explain what that is. If you have a Bible, would you turn with me, please, to Joshua chapter 1? And I want to remind those of you that were part of the church back last September, because there's some of you here uh, who weren't. Last September, October, November, we were doing a series on the book of Joshua, which very sensibly started with Joshua chapter 1. And we kicked off looking at this moment when the Israelites were due to go into the land that had been promised to them and for which they'd waited uh, for centuries, and then particularly a whole generation had died in the desert. If we jump in here, I'm just going to read bits of, rather than the whole chapter, but God speaks to Joshua as the leader of these people, and, and says some things that all come in the context, this moment, that it's now time, now is the time for them to enter the promised land. The previous generation did not enter the promised land, because they didn't believe it was possible for them. They got to the edge of it and thought, we can't do it. And now, a generation later, as Joshua came with the next generation of Israelites, it was time for them to believe that it was possible. And then God speaks to Joshua and puts some flesh on those bones, outlines, if you like, some principles of how this belief has to operate Uh, for them to take the land. So in the first paragraph there, he says, I will give you, this is verse 3, every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so the first thing he says to to Joshua is, you've got to believe I am with you. I'm with you. And that makes all the difference. Doesn't matter how great the opposition is. Doesn't matter how feeble we feel or indeed really are. What counts is that God 
the Lord Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth is with us. It's time to believe it. It's time to believe too in the word of God because God goes on to speak to Joshua. Uh, Be careful, he says in verse 7, to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So the second thing that, going back five months we looked at was, it's time to believe God's word. And God's word sets out certain things that we can expect to happen. It sets out certain ways that we ought to behave. God says to Joshua, it's time to believe that living according to God's word is going to lead to prosperity and success. (laughs) Yeah, okay. And the third thing is to do with their togetherness as a people. Some of the tribes are going to settle on one side of the River Jordan, some on the other And Moses Moses had said to them, look, you can stay that side of the river as long as when it's time to fight, you all come over and we fight together. And they said, yeah, that's fine. Joshua goes to them at this moment and says, you are going to do that, aren't you? We are going to fight all of this together, aren't we? And they reply, verse 16, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever, we, whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Which is a very strong statement of togetherness and determination, not only to work together, but to make sure everyone works together. And so the third thing about belief here was about believing together. I think what was going on as we were looking at that passage last autumn was this vision we have, this big vision of a building family, igniting passion for God, going with good news. We were seeing some more of the principles by which this vision would be fulfilled, would be realized. It's about faith. Uh, If we don't believe God, then we're not going to see vision fulfilled. Uh, But that faith has content. It's faith that he's with us. Faith that we can trust him. Um, As Keith was reading the psalm this morning, I found tears in my eyes. Just at the point where it said something like, uh, God's delight is in those who trust in his unfailing love. And I don't know about you, but by the grace of God, that's where I find myself. Trusting in his unfailing love, that uh, whatever's going on around, he, I know that he loves me. I know, therefore, that he has good things planned for me, and I know that he's with me. I know that he is the Lord, my shepherd, and I need not want, and though I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I need fear no evil, because he's with me. He's with us. He's with each one of us. So we, picked, we were learning that for, to see vision before, it's about knowing that God's with us, knowing that uh, that means success and blessing for us. Seeing the vision fulfilled is about connecting with God's word and feeding on it and receiving the strength from that. And seeing God's vision for us fulfilled is about something that we do together. 
as well. And the vision that we have is not just something to hear about together and do alone. There's something that we do together. Uh, those of you, which would be many of us who were around last Sunday, have heard Mike Beaumont preaching on the theme, really, of coping with change. And it's just interesting to me that what he said about being ready for change is largely those same things, those bits of wisdom from Scripture. He said, uh, it's okay to change as long as you're reshaping for purpose, as long as it's a vision that God's given, as long as God's with us, uh, as long as we stick together as a people, as long as it's all led by the Holy Spirit, then, then change is good. Then that's change that we want to enter into. So what I have to say this morning about vision is not changing this definition of what we know God has called us to, neither am I about to unpick any of those principles about it matters that God's with us, it matters what we believe, it's about the word. All of those are values, uh, principles of scripture, which are key in us seeing vision fulfilled. But there's something more that we need if we're to see our vision, not only on bits of paper and in our prayers, but fulfilled. If we are to, in the language of the book of Joshua, enter the promised land. There's something more. So what I have to say is really quite simple, but it's also quite profound, and it actually it has quite a lot of consequences. Because um, what I'm going to say, it's not a, a little idea that's going to sort of pop up for a few months and then be quietly shelved. What we're talking about here is where we're going together. And it's all about how we're going to fulfill our vision. It's one thing to have vision. It's great. We need to know what God is calling us to do. And uh, it's another thing to know the principles of that so that you do it in a principled way. But there's still a how to. When the Israelites entered the promised land, how were they going to conquer Joshua? Uh, Not Joshua, Jericho. They promised to kill anyone that disobeyed him. So how are they going to conquer Jericho? How are they going to conquer Ai? In the fullness of time, how would they conquer the hill country? How, how, how? So this morning really is about vision, but it's actually about how we're going to be seeing vision fulfilled. There we go, how. All right. And I want to introduce, I guess, some some new vocabulary to you. Well, they're not new words, but uh, with this fresh statement of how we're going to do that, there is a phrase which you're going to get used to and come to love and will be part of your prayer life for some time to come. And it's this phrase here. It's about being a church of missional communities. Uh, I don't like creating new jargon. I prefer to strip it out. So it's taken me some time to be prepared to introduce. So if you're thinking, why do we need jargon? Well, we do need to be able to describe what it is that we are called to do, how, and this is how, this is what it is, okay, a church of missional communities, a really simple idea, quite a lot of consequences for all of us. Now, those of you who are part of the church will know that we've been on a journey over some years of seeking the right shape for our midweek groups. Uh, Who can remember enemies of the soul? That was one thing that we had going on midweek. 
Before that, and I was, I'm too young to have been part of this, 242 groups, there are a few, praise God. Um, we've called our small groups various things. Uh, they've mostly been called community groups. Uh, we, have, we have cell groups as well. We have fusion cells, youth cells. I say, in the last few years, I've actually swung against calling things cell groups. Um, I think there was some confusion when, for a season, we used the word, the phrase open cell. I don't know if any of you remember that. Had a lot of prison connotations there, for sure. Um, but also, I'm part of um, Oxford Brooks Chaplaincy Council, and one of the things we've talked about in that context is the government's agenda for combating religious extremism on campus. And I think we are classified as sort of religious fundamentalists in most people's minds, and having cell groups <laughs> meeting on campus is just tricky, I think. So I've swung a little bit against that. Um, But we've talked about various things over time, and we have, as elders, uh, come to a point of real clarity about this, which is to do with this thing about missional community. So what is a missional community? Do I have to hold this in the right place? Maybe there's a line. There we go. I'll stand over here for the rest of the morning. Okay. A missional community uh, is, is about this. These are groups of people who care for and support one another who worship Jesus together, pray and read the Bible together. That sounds like a house group or a small group in many, many, many settings. But in addition to that, these are groups of people who also work together with a specific vision of sharing the love of Jesus in specific ways, whether that be alpha courses or to homeless people, to a particular local community. I mean, the list is as long as our society is diverse. And that's kind of the point, really. These are groups that share the love of Jesus with each other and with other people. There are also communities where people can readily learn together about how to share good news, the good news about Jesus with people. So they're about community. They're about a community that is doing mission together as well. Hence, missional communities. You see, it kind of does what it says on the tin, kind of a name. So there we are. Um, these are communities of people that are begun around a mission or vision. Many of us have been in small groups over the years where we've realized that somehow we ought to be, as a group of people, more engaged with what God is doing in the world. And we've tried to add on to what we are already some more activity. And we found that it's very often been like trying to mix oil and water. Some of you have been through that process and you you know what I'm talking about. What we have found is that where we are starting new groups around a particular vision, uh, it's great. People not only continue to love each other, read their Bibles, worship, not only do we enjoy time together, but having something that we are doing together in which we're participating together in what God is doing in the world actually makes it more fun to be together It gives us more to pray about, more to celebrate, and more need to get into the scriptures, to dig in them, and find food that would sustain us. So next week, actually, we're going to step back a little bit, and with this whole thing of missional communities, we're going to look at some things that are already going on in the church. And I'll talk a bit more in general terms this week. Next week, we're going to get down to some specifics. But as a general point, 
a way that I think we could describe this difference is it's less of a book club and more of a sports club. Uh, A lot of our house groups have been like those sort of throughout Christendom, really, where the focus is on sitting down together, reading and talking. I think the closest equivalent to that in wider society is a book club. That's what what we're most like. I think in that process of saying, well, how are we going to participate together in what God is doing in the world, it's often, it's been a little bit like someone's gone to the book club and said, we ought to go out and play rugby. That's what it's been like. But the common response is, and I've been on both sides of this you know, exchange at different times, have been either uh, no, <laughs> or uh, for people that are feeling good-hearted, um, have you got a book about that? <laughs> the, or a DVD, maybe, that we could read. And we, we, could, we could talk about it, couldn't we? So there's something different, really quite simple, but quite significant in the difference that it makes. Um, This is, going back to Joshua again, a few weeks after I'd preached about from Joshua chapter 1, about it being time to believe, Steve Thomas preached from Joshua chapters 3 and 4, which is the point in the story where they actually crossed the river. And he talked about, he kept standing, I didn't realise how dusty the stage was until that morning, but he kept stamping on the stage and saying, it's time for us to step out and take the land together. We've got to cross over, we've got to act. And the thrust of what he said, and it landed with us as the word of the Lord was, it's time for each of us to take responsibility for what God has called us to do together. It's a season for not only saying, being able to repeat the statement of vision that we have as a church, but to see how each one of us needs to act to take responsibility for seeing that vision fulfilled. And this how-to, this being a church of missional communities is all about that. Now, I have a lot of confidence in talking about this this morning Because actually, right across the church, many of us are, by the grace of God, already living out this pattern of life. I can list things off. Currently, we have seven seven missional communities which are clearly based upon a common vision, and they've got all of that spiritual community going on as well. Uh, In addition to that, that, and that's just on the town side. As well as that, there are a further six fusion groups, which also all have a common vision. They're like those missional communities. We have five more groups exploring whether to become or how to become a missional community. Uh, there are four remaining community groups that are probably, if you're in one of those groups and you're just like, I don't connect with this, you're in one of those groups. And what I'm saying this morning is going to have more uh, change and challenge for you than it will for others, but panic ye not. Um, We have three church plants as well. Seven missional communities, six fusion groups, five groups exploring. (laughs) Two turtle doves. And um, I couldn't find a partridge this morning, but I did find a sparrow, because as we're looking at this, there are some questions that come to mind. Uh, sparrows appear a couple of times in the Bible. They are occasionally getting sacrificed. No, that's pigeons, isn't it? No, seriously. Uh, in Psalm 84, you might like to turn there. Uh, 
I'm going to jump around to a few different scriptures this morning, rather than just sort of preaching from one. In Psalm 84, the psalmist says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And then he says, Even the sparrow has found a home. Even the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. And it's this picture of the psalmist delighting to come into the temple and there in the temple seeing that whilst the people are only allowed so far in, the birds can zip right up and there are swallows with nests under the eaves of the temple in that holy of holies. And it's a picture of there being a place for people to get right in. He says, oh, I wish it could be like that. And God, your heart is that people would come in. Another place that talks about sparrows is Matthew 10. You might like to turn there too. Uh, Matthew 10 and verse 29 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very, num- the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid, you're worth more than many sparrows. So what's this thing about sparrows? The point is that sparrows are being taken up here as an image of, of a, a little bird that is not, sought, not seen to be very valuable. And the question's being asked, will this little, uh, not valuable creature uh, find a place with God? And is, does God care for this, this little thing? And the answer in Old and New Testaments is this resounding, yes, God cares for the little tiny creatures. And we sometimes talk from Psalm 84 about swallows and sparrows. And we say, we ask ourselves, uh, in the context of Christian community, in the church, is there room for people that, that other people look at and think, you're a bit difficult, or we don't know how easy it will be for you to fit in. For the people that the world despises, for the marginalised, for those with complex needs, for those that are looked down upon in the rest of life, what will happen for those people when they encounter church? And the right answer is they're welcomed right into the presence of God and valued and honoured. Nothing happens to them apart from the will of the Father. That's the point. So people are important. All people are important. And there's a fear that arises whenever someone like me talks about vision and it's about doing and it's like we haven't done enough and there's more to do. Question that comes up is where where do the people with complex needs fit in here? Have you thought about that? Um, This is a question that comes... Have you thought about that? What about the people who are weak? Is there room? So I want to turn again to another scripture and tell you how I personally answer that question. And uh, it's really not so much about... How I feel is not particularly relevant to the answer, to be honest. Because in 1 Peter 5, Peter appeals. He says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one also, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. And then he goes on to say, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive 
the crown of glory that will never fade away. So there's a little bit of scripture here that's written particularly with elders in mind. It speaks to all of us because it's scripture, but I have to say, that is what I know that I'm called to. I'm called as an elder to be a shepherd in God's flock. The other elders know the same. I would not feel confident standing up here and saying, we are going to do this vision thing this way if we had not thought through how people would be cared for. That would be a negligence of duty. That would be a wrong thing to do. If we spent quite a lot of time saying, if we see change, how will people be cared for? We've been taking that really seriously. And we, having spent quite a bit of time talking and praying about it, are convinced that uh, people will be as well cared for in a church of missional communities as they are at the moment. Actually, we think probably better. We've thought, I can't list off all the details now, but I want to say that has been thought about. So this question, will everyone be cared for? Uh, The answer is, it's absolutely in our hearts. We're thinking about it, and we're going to be as proactive as we've ever been. And there's nothing in this that makes it any less likely to care than, than, we, you know, than the challenges we already face in terms of busy lives and you know, the ongoing struggle with sin <laughs> that we all have. So I also want to say in this context that when we're talking about mission or communities, another thought that might come up is, so this is now all about performance, is it? You've got to deliver. And so I want to say very clearly, a mission or community is not, really about missional performance. It's about learning in mission. Uh, I think I've said this before recently, but I'll say it again. Something about learning styles. Those of you who are teachers will know that there are different learning styles that are described. Some people, it's understood, learn best by reading. They kind of get, get hold of things that way. Some people learn best by seeing things Uh, Some people learn best by doing things. I don't know what the names for all of those are, but the idea is that different people learn in different ways. And so as a teacher, the encouragement is to whatever information you've got to convey, to convey it in different ways, different styles, so that as many people as possible can get it, which seems to me good advice for a teacher. Um, At the same time, there is a reality that some subject matter is easier to get hold of in some styles than others. So, uh, if you're learning theoretical physics, or if you're trying to teach theoretical physics, you're going to find it relatively hard to get people with a learning style of, I learn about it by doing it, to to connect with kind of, you know, advanced physics stuff. Uh, Equally... If you're a sports teacher and your job is to teach people to play rugby, there is a limit to how much people will learn that by watching videos and becoming armchair commentators. If you watch lots and lots and lots of videos and learn all the stuff about rugby, you don't end up a rugby player, you end up a couch potato. So there's a need to learn about different things in different ways. I think one of the things that has become really clear to us as Over quite some years now, we've set ourselves to say, we need to learn how to engage with what God is doing in the world. That is more like learning rugby than learning theoretical physics. It's about learning how to be a player. And you learn 
that much, much more easily in the context of doing than in the kind of book club mode. And I think one of the struggles that we've had and the frustrations that we've had is we've seen something to engage with, but the way that we've sought to follow Jesus, the way we've sought to be discipled and to learn has been in a mode that is kind of different to the mode that we need to be in to learn. So what I'm trying to say through this is that missional communities are not primarily about delivering, performing, you know, goals, bang, bang, bang. The first and foremost thing, the the, the foundational thing, is we see these as a context where, as we give ourselves, we can learn. By doing some things, it's an opportunity for us to grow. They are learning communities. All right. Those are a couple of thoughts that people might have as I'm talking about this. Here's another one, which is to do with... Um, how we go about doing mission. This is the Lone Ranger, for those of you that are too young to know. Uh, on Tonto, is it Tonto? Yeah, there we go. Sorry? The horse is silver. Sorry, Tonto is his friend. Okay. Uh, forgive me. Forgive me. Okay. Oh, yeah, he goes, hi-ho, silver, doesn't he? Away. Yeah, I'm with you now. Okay. So the Lone Ranger is a hero. Because he does everything. He sorts it all out by himself. Uh, like James Bond or any other, you know, I'll just sort it all out. Um, but the truth is, going back to Joshua 1, to take the land, we need each other. That's what the scriptures say. The scriptures say, we need each other. And do you know what? I think they're true. I think the scriptures are true. And this is why I think that. Because I don't know of any of you who by yourselves are going out healing the sick, raising the dead, and planting churches, where you are. And that's kind of like, the, and transforming society as well. That's kind of like the fullness of the kingdom of God coming, right? I don't think any of us are seeing all of that happen. Could you put a hand up if you are? Because I'd like to know and learn from you. Okay. So none of us are doing that. So the point is, we've all got something to learn. We've all got something to learn about how to do this. Oh, I, mean, I do, you do, we all do. And so it may well be that you've got a vision for some kind of mission in a place that no one else is currently joining you. You know what? Even if that is so, how you're going to learn to be effective there is going to be doing something with other Christians where other people who are a bit better than you at offering to pray for the sick or a bit better than you at knowing what to say to people when they ask difficult questions or just a bit better than you at being a good friend, you can kick around with them, do some stuff together, and learn, which will in time help you to be more effective in whatever mission God has called you to. So these things aren't intention. It's not about, well, I've been called to make a difference in my workplace by myself, and I'm saying, well, no, you've got to do it all with a church. I think these things fit together. Whatever God's called you to, Missional communities are an opportunity to learn about that. And who knows? I think we'll see quite a bit of success <laughs> as we go along as well. Another question. Does everyone have to fit in? Now we're talking. Well, look, in this vision, it is getting a little bit closer, isn't it? I mean, talk about change. We're going to change the world. Yeah, oh, fine, yeah. Great. I'll do that however seems good to me in the Holy Spirit. How? Well, 
we're going to be a church of missional communities. This, this raises the question, so do we have to fit? Do we have to change? Do we have to... Well, the answer is that there, in this thing about a church of missional communities, there is room for everyone. There's room for everyone. <laughs> There's room for you. There's room for everyone. This is not something that is going to be done in such a way that you're excluded. My heart and the heart of all of the elders of the church is that this would actually provide a fresh opportunity for everyone to join in and find fulfillment. So there's room for everyone. At the same time, we are going somewhere and we are changing something. This is probably the best way of putting it. What we're looking at is a gradual but determined reshaping of our church life, which means it's not revolution uh, like they're having in, they've had in Tunisia and they're having in Egypt. It's not revolution and all the violence that goes along with that. Uh, but we are clear about where we're going. And in months to come, we are going to see things line up with being a church of missional communities. Uh, But the journeys that different ones of us might need to take to get to that will vary. For some people, the journeys to be part of that might be quite meandering. And that's okay, as long as we're clear about where we're going to end up. Some things in our church life are already in this shape. For example, our fusion groups are. Uh, Dean Court is, and I could list off others. Some are exploring how to fit into this shape. Uh, family fun. Uh, I think, how can we not just run what we do on Tuesday mornings? How can we be a missional community? Um, talking to Danny and Mary about what they do with the arts. How can that be a community of people that are enjoying Christ together and connecting with it. So there are various conversations going on of these kinds. So I think this is going to be a significant change, and I'm kind of announcing intention <laughs> this morning that this is, going to, this is going to guide us as we go forward. And just to underline, as elders, we're taking this really seriously. This is not just another idea that we're having. We've been trying to think up uh, what questions uh, this change uh, prompts and provokes. We've got to, I've got to 24 questions that we've been trying, to, been trying to work through. What does this mean? Things like, how big are these missional communities going to be? What's their pattern of meeting? What happens to small groups on the old model? Could someone belong to more than one missional community? Is a missional community not very much like a church plant? How might a new missional community start? What if a missional community never really gets off the ground? How are these going to be supported and made accountable to the eldership? How will pastoral care work? How does a school in Oxford fit in? What about the King Centre? We've been thinking these things through to make sure that we're not setting up something here that's going to be destructive in areas of church life or come up against obstacles at which it will fall. We think God has spoken to us about this and and the, the task of good governance in the church requires us to be thinking it through before we announce it. <laughs> We've been doing that. There are probably other questions still. Actually, I'm sure there are. 24 doesn't seem like a long enough list. I'm sure there are more. And so, uh, over the next few weeks, we're having not one consultation, but a series of consultation evenings uh, in different parts of the city. In a few minutes, you're going to get given a booklet, which is about all of this stuff. And in there, 
along with a list of all the missional communities and the groups exploring things, and some great stories of what God's doing already through it all, is, are some dates. And I really want to encourage you to get along to one of those dates and bring your questions. And actually, if God's spoken to you, bring your prophetic insight and let's pray together too. Talking about prayer brings me on to one more thing, which is not really going to be me saying it. I want to play something for you in a minute. Because this change, I believe, is essential, necessary, because God's led us into it. We've got to go with it. So there's determination there. And at the same time... uh, I kind of feel this mixture of excitement and unexcitement. What's the opposite of excitement? It's not boredom. Sorry? Apprehension. Apprehension. There you go. There we go. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Because, you know, changing the shape of what we do does not in itself generate life. Um, I had a study break last summer. Before that, as I was thinking about what are the issues for us as a church and where are we going, the question I was really asking myself in my heart was, are we ever going to go over a watershed and become a church that is really connected to what God's doing in the world? Really. Uh, kind of wholeheartedly and right across the piece. That was, and I came back from my study break last summer feeling that actually we'd gone over a watershed and that what I've, I'm talking about this morning is what most of you are living. So, the sort of the body of the church had gone over that watershed, and I came back to pleasantly discover that, yes, we are going to be a church that is missional. But then another question arose, and so the, this is the question that I'm asking, really. Are we going to be a church that is missionally active only, or a church that is uh, life-giving and therefore effective? missionally it's like the trellis and the vine you can build the trellis up uh which has the if you don't have a if you don't have any kind of structure then the vine is not going to get very far like so the structural things matter but we need to be clear about what is the life in all of this um i want to play you a recording of some a a prophetic appointment that uh as elders uh we took up last November, an opportunity to have some people pray with us and prophesy over us. There's two things that you need to know as we... Have you got it ready to go, guys? Yeah? There's two things that you need to know before you listen to this. One is that I've edited quite a bit out because um, it was quite long. These guys prophesied quite a lot. They quite prophesied over each one of us individually with remarkable accuracy. That's what I'm trying to say. That's not in this. That's what I'm trying to say. The first thing is, this was... this. I want you to understand that these people who are prophesying were spot on in a whole number of things about us as people. So I'm trying to prep you to be believing of what is prophesied. I think the other thing to say is just if you don't know, there's somebody called Heidi Baker who is going to be here in four weeks' time, just under four weeks' time, as part of the Salt and Light European Leaders Conference. She has a ministry with her husband, Roland, Uh, in Mozambique, which is really about seeing the miraculous power of God brought to the poorest of the poor in that nation. And these guys who were praying for us didn't know that she's coming here. Okay, there's helpful bits of information. Now let's listen. 
I sense that you guys are in a really significant time uh, within what the Lord is about to do. I, I sense that perhaps you guys are in a... Um, please weigh all this stuff, obviously. I sense that maybe you guys are in a time of transition I, in the spiritual realm. That's what I see. Uh, a transitioning into... Uh, and I, but as, as you're in a transition time, I see you gathering momentum and speed. Uh, and I see... Um, I, uh, what I sense is uh, this time of transition is you, that you guys have been cont- uh, contending for the next thing, for the new things, and I see a release of his presence that comes in line with what you're contending for. Uh, and I sense that the Lord's saying that the, the generational line of what your church has come from, the heritage that your church has, now is the time for the, for the true and full potential of what your ch- where your church has come from yeah. to be released into the future. Uh, it's, I'm not saying you guys look back on what's been um, at all, but now is the time for, uh, for no longer to look back, but to push on and for that heritage to create a platform uh, to push on and to accelerate. Not just because of the vision that was once set, but because, of, because that creates a solid platform and because of the, set, the presence and the power of the Lord that's, that's going to be released uh, through the church and in the church in a deeper and greater way. I see the demographic uh, of your church increasing uh, and I see it increasing beyond uh, the, the scope of, of, of the norm of people maybe that are drawn to your church at the moment. I see a half of the poor raising up in the church like never before and I see a spirit of intercession being released in the church uh, and I see young adults carrying this heart for the poor and for intercession in a, in a deeper way than they've ever done before than the church has ever done before and I sense uh, the Lord uh, really birthing something, birthing almost like a prayer movement in you guys and in your church uh, that transforms uh, that transforms communities that transforms how uh, almost uh, forgive me if I'm wrong with in this place but almost transforms where maybe ch- a church might be and I'm not, you might not be like this but where maybe churches might be a little bit more middle class uh, and not fully sure how to relate uh, to the to, to the poor transforms those uh, those natural um, frictions and problems to to a, a heart cry for the lost and for the poor that transcends any any uh, amount of income that comes in that transcends class that, that isn't shaped by those things uh, and i see the lord uh, releasing a fresh mindset in in the church of sonship the whole thing of romans 8 uh, of being heirs i see a real release of that and i see people op- where, where maybe some people are operating at the, at the moment possibly as orphans rather than sons uh, i see uh, there being a fresh level of sonship that the church walks in together a real unity in that it not just being one or two who walk in that sonship but it being many who walk in this in this in in this spirit of sonship in the spirit of adoption and the power and the authority that comes with that i sense the lord saying that now is the time for you guys to take up uh, and um, take up the sword of the spirit afresh and use it with power and with authority not not to be shaped by timidity or by fear but to move in real power and real authority so lord we just release that in the name of jesus upon this church we say lord let the time be now let the time be now lord lord birth that heart afresh for the for the poor lord for the poor in spirit 
Father, I re- ask that you would release into these guys what you released into Heidi Baker. And I sense that there's to be a connection, maybe not necessarily directly with her, but between what she's birthed and what you, what the Lord will birth in you guys. I really sense that and a connection. I see her at your church releasing and imparting. Uh, so, it, yeah, I'm going to prophesy that that is a, uh, is a, a, is a direct link. Um, Lord, let something be raised. Okay, brilliant. So... Um, well, I'll take that then. Uh, <laughs> I, I release that in the name of Jesus, that connection, that impartation for the heart, for the lost, for the poor, loving the one. I release that in the name of Jesus. The Lord, I, I think the Lord wants you to know as well uh, that he has put you in a specific, strategic place uh, and not to doubt your positioning. Not to doubt your relevance, not to doubt whether you're just people uh, kind of who ride off a wave of of what's already been known from the past. He's put you in a specific place for a specific reason and you're in a strategic place. And the the realization and the revelation of that strategic place is about to be released to you guys and to your leadership. Sorry, I went on for a while. Um, This sounds totally obvious, I know, but um, I just reminded of the, the prison in town that is now a hotel. And I just feel like God's saying that prisons will be lavish hotels with marble halls for your church, that people who are um, not looked upon um, nicely in society will just be basking in um, like a sunset light. They're just going to be so beautiful that that's what you've got to expect. Ugly will become beautiful, and you're going to see that in your church. Just like the hotel that was a prison looks beautiful now. Um, I just pray that over your church that you are going to see ugly become beautiful thank you lord yeah and when you guys you know worked in um i had this uh picture in my, uh, in my spirit you know, of uh you guys in an airplane like flying you know over your region and it was this airplane was involved you know in a rescue mission then i was you know asking the lord you know, about and the lord was saying to me that um that's releasing uh, to you guys a fresh you know, revelation of, of of fresh revelations of the gifts you know, of the spirits and skill you know to use these gifts in order to rescue the people, you know, in your in your environment, you know, very much, you know, um, uh, confirming, you know, what you know, Nathan, you know, was saying, like getting the loss. And the Lord is, is releasing you know, new revelations, new insights, new skills, uh, in the gifts, you know, of the Holy Spirit on how to get these people, you know, in, in, into the church and to know Him. Also, fresh revelations of people who are already in the church, you know, of who they are. You know, and of their of their giftings, yes. So, and to be bold, you know, know about it. When I begin to manifest, oh yes, Father, we just release this fresh revelation, Father. I'll say now is the time, Father. Oh yes, for these are precious jewels, Father. Oh yes, in your hands, Father. Oh, release this, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I sense that um, there is to be a release of uh, of the prophetic in your church afresh. Um, I sense this to be a birthing of a new generation of prophets in your church. Um, obviously, we're all called to prophesy. I'm not saying we're not. Uh, but I sense the Lord saying, uh, and this is in no, no uh, judgment of, of any prophets that you have already in the church, but that the old is gone and the new has come. I think there's something new in a fresh prophetic birthing that's coming into your church. 
Uh, and I'm not saying that the old prophets won't be up for this at all, but I sense there being something birthed new. Uh, and I see the older prophets fathering these new ones, as it were, raising them up. Uh, and there being a real uh, fresh prophetic uh, cry and prophetic call upon your church. And, um, and you guys, uh, as a church, really pioneering um, kind of a prophetic movement and a prophetic voice uh, for, this, for this country uh, and, for the, and for the generation and for the age group that really rise up with this heart crack. Uh, I, I, I wonder if, um, and I've seen this way this, but I wonder if this is to do with young adults and something that's being birthed in them and is, is about to be released in them, something that's already been promised uh, to the young adults in your church but you haven't seen fulfilled yet and I think that this prophetic birthing is an element of what's been promised to, to the young adults in your church. Okay. Yeah. He was just going to say, young adults in your church. And um, I don't know how you respond to that. Uh, Those are words that we have weighed together as elders, and we believe that God's been speaking to us. Um, That actually, what we were connecting with as we looked at Joshua last term about, now is the time to believe there's a crossing over, and there's a promised land. And uh, What I've said about how to do that is all well and good. It's how to take Jericho, march around it, how to take AI, set an amp. The how-to matters, and clarity about the how-to matters so that we can participate together. So all well and good. But, you know, unless God comes and causes the walls to fall or the ambush to succeed, unless God comes and causes our missional communities to reach people, our church plants to thrive, it it highlights our dependence on him. The clearer we get about how to do what he's called us to do, the sharper it comes into focus that we really need him. And it prompts us to pray. And so there are opportunities to pray in the coming week. Keith's spoken already about uh, this being a week of prayer for us. And there's the the prayer rooms uh, in the centre of town that are available. Actually, the time of worship and prayer that's here tonight, that Simon was talking about earlier, uh, has come out of these prophetic words that we need to respond and say, well, let's receive the life then. And if there's a prayer movement, prophetic movement, a movement of intercession that is going to come up amongst us, then we need to go for it. And I just want to note that it particularly said at a number of points, young adults. There's something here for young adults to connect with. I guess that's students uh, and probably people in their early 20s. Actually, the, the more... And mature in years, members of the congregation here, uh, by and large, as I look around, I think you, more mature people, you know what it is to pray and to engage with God. But there is something for younger adults to connect with. I mean, everyone's welcome, but there's a particular thing that's been spoken here for younger adults. And I want to really challenge you to jump in <laughs> with both feet. I think it would be good to pray now. Um, Yeah. There's been quite a lot that's been said that needs to be thought through. 
this morning. And as Graham prophesied earlier about repenting and changing, I've been praying that this morning would help us all to change where we need to, to line up together for what God's got for us. Um, So I'd like to pray for that, for us as a church, that God would help all of us. Um, And then, Keith, I'll hand over to you and maybe we could spend some time praying together for things, but I'll leave that to you. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you don't leave us alone just with vague ideas of what to do, but you are the God of vision, strategy and tactics. You're the God who leads us every step of the way and shows us just what we need to do. And I do pray for an increase amongst us in our lining up with what you have called us to do uh, in the diverse missional communities that you're bringing to birth amongst us. Lord, show each one of us what you're calling us to do. Uh, Where to connect, with which people to connect, with what purpose to connect, and what parts to play. Uh, We've all got gifts, Lord. You've been so generous in giving all of us gifts. And we pray for those gifts to find expression uh, in church life and in our engagement with what you're doing in the world. Lord, we want to be... Uh, we want to be at your disposal, lined up with you. Lord, if what I've said this morning is, well, it will have raised a whole number of questions. Uh, Lord, I want to pray that over the next few weeks that you would speak uh, into those questions. I pray that you would raise the questions to a point of clarity in our minds, that you would speak to us about what the answers are to them, Lord. And I pray that faith would come, and I pray that peace would come, and I pray that from this day on, that this, this, this morning would be another watershed for us in our life as a church. As I believe we've, we've, you've taken us, Lord, over this watershed into being engaged in mission. Lord, I pray that this morning will be the watershed after which that mission is effective, just in a whole new way. Holy Spirit, would you come? Life of God, would you come? And where people are running kids' clubs, going out to work, trying to share something about you, Lord, would your spirit come upon us this morning to take us into a new season of effectiveness, a new season of fruitfulness that will bring joy to your heart. Lord, thank you for all the words of promise that you've spoken over us. Lord, we say thank you. We say thank you and we say we need you. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you. And we want you. Come and have your way, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.